Have you ever gotten really hungry while reading a book, watching a show or a movie, or playing a game where the food just seems really good? And the more detail you get, the more it feels like you could just have that at your fingertips. What if you could pull a recipe from the pages or off the screen and actually try it? Today, we're talking about how food in immersive storytelling can act as a catalyst to build and strengthen a sense of community among its fans and even foster positive family dynamics by creating opportunities for shared memories. Welcome to As We Eat, where we explore the intersection of food, family, history, and culture. We think there's something magical that happens when people get together and share food. Conversations seem to happen a little more naturally. We talk about our commonalities and our differences. We share stories, memories, and recipes. And we'll use food to take a journey that explores our human experience. Share some fun facts and some that aren't so fun. Talk about food history and how food connects and defines us. So if you've ever eaten, prepared, or shared food, then this podcast probably has something for you. Hi, Leigh. Hey, Kim, how are you? I'm wonderful. Oh, we are in full seasonal transition here in the Pacific Northwest, and I am loving sweater weather. Mm. And it's all about the pumpkin spice and just really enjoying the change in the seasons and all the delicious, yummy things that we get to eat. I love this time of year. I always say every season's my favorite, but I'm thoroughly enjoying autumn. How are you? great. And here in Montana, the same thing. We're seeing all of the beautiful fall colors. Somebody joked the other day that without the non-native maples, we would just see a lot of yellow, but the yellows are fantastic too. And yes, I totally agree. I got all of my sweaters out. I'm so excited to put my (laughs) sweaters on. And gosh, we've had soups and chilies and all of these nice warming meals mm. as the temperatures are falling. I love it. I love it. It This really is my favorite time of year. We got so many great recommendations and ideas for how to use pumpkins. I'm, I'm thinking mm. that as we journal, our theme for October has been harvest. And so I'm so inspired to hit a lot of those recipes, the, the soups, the risotto, um, ravioli, mm chili, you name it, I want it in my belly. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I agree. (laughs) Sooner or later, please. Okay, so today we're talking about storytelling and community building and food. And I've been really looking forward to having this discussion all year. I was in a bookstore in Vancouver, British Columbia. Earlier this year, around the time we were brainstorming for our cookbook ideas and themes for this season of As We Eat, and there was a whole shelf of cookbooks, of which, of course, attracted me, Related to high fantasy themes, specifically the lore of Tolkien, H.P. Lovecraft, and George R.R. R. Martin. I sent you a picture, remember? We're going to put mm-hmm. the picture in the show notes. Yeah. Yes. And it dawned on me that as we explore the theme of community building in cookbooks, we needed to talk about books organized around the unique communities that form around fandoms, particularly the ones that are especially effective at creating an immersive story in a richly detailed alternative world. Right. I'm thinking of works like Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter, Star Wars, Game of Thrones. They all have something in common. They are virtually complete worlds populated with people-like entities, folks that resemble us in some way, 
who are striving to do many of the same things that we do. Similarly, games, computer games, but also tabletop games, which I like to think of as stories in which you are participating by doing actions, become more immersive and feel real the more the player feels like they are part of that world, interacting with the environment, talking to others, whether they're other player characters or non-playing characters, working as a team, all to kind of accomplish a common goal. Part of world building involves really detailed descriptions of the ways that characters look, both their racial features as well as their fashion, makeup, clothing, even scars, how they talk with a particular attitude, language, affect, or accent, and the things that they spend money on, usually things that can improve abilities or skills, such as weapons, rings, pendants, and trinkets, and food and drink. I'm especially fascinated by the fusion that takes place between the imaginary worlds that we love and the way we live our lives in the everyday world, and how food and drinks have actually taken form from inspiration and come into our reality. For example, in the Harry Potter books, we now have plenty of recipes for butter beer, to the point that I think it's actually well known enough, even if you haven't read the books or watched the movies, that like it would be a dish that you would enjoy. And of course, Jelly Belly now makes uh, Birdie Bots every flavor beans, uh, which I think you have some experience with. <laughs> I have had some experience with Birdie Bots. Every flavor beans, the earwax, pretty on, <laughs> pretty on, yeah, not my favorite flavor, pretty on the nose as far as flavors go, I think. Yeah. Like, and the vomit. Like, what do you really have to compare it to? That's the thing. I know, that's, right? It's amazing to me how much they evoke what they're supposed to be without you maybe really having a lot of experience with, it, with tasting earwax, right? All right. And of course, from the Lord of the Rings, we get Lambus bread and the incredibly righteous idea of second breakfast. Like, why have we not thought of this before? Thank you, Lord of the Rings. Thank you. Thank you so much. We firmly believe in second breakfast. And in gaming fandoms, it can go even deeper than that. Because in many games, food and drink are utility items meant to do more than sate hunger and thirst. But they lend a particular benefit, sometimes a consequence to the character. So let me explain a little bit. Okay. We've talked extensively about the transitive property of foods before, such mm -hmm. as Roman gladiators eating boar, bear, oxen meat to gain strength and ferocity, or that oysters and other foods might aid in sexual prowess and virility. Check out our Super Bowl and Aphrodisiac episodes for a little bit more about those topics. That same basic idea can extend to food and drinking games that provide a player benefit or maybe just a fun effect. For example, Dragon's Breath Chili might give you protection from fire damage for a period of time. Useful. Very. If only we could do that in real life. But it <laughs> might also cause you to spontaneously belch out fireballs. Maybe not so useful, but, you know, kind of cool. I mean, that would be a great party trick. <laughs> it would be really fun. Hold my beer. Watch this. Yes, hold my beer. In a game, eating such an item before encountering a fire-breathing monster and experiencing its benefits and consequences adds flavor, all puns intended, to the story as it plays out and ultimately creates a shared memory for the gaming party. Hey, remember that time when we were fighting the dragon and suddenly you belched out that big fireball and everything died, right? 
(laughs) People will talk about those moments for years to come. But I suspect I am getting a little ahead of myself. So let me set up a little bit more history about the specific game, Dungeons and Dragons, and our topic cookbook, Heroes Feast, which is an official cookbook for the Dungeons and Dragons franchise. Okay. And I picked one that was particularly popular and famous because I thought there might be a greater chance that folks at home would know a little something about the game. I didn't want to get crazy esoteric. So Dungeons and Dragons, role-playing game, first published in 1974. So it's as old as I am, aging myself right now. At its most basic, I'm really not going to give us an overly detailed description here. Most basic, it's a series of miniature war games that take place in a high fantasy setting. So we're talking like orcs and trolls and elves interconnected with storytelling. So again, most basic, a group of people form a party to basically accomplish a goal, perhaps killing a dragon, and they progress through a story from battle to battle led by a dungeon master. Each person embodies or role plays a character, often intricately created with a history, a backstory, custom portraits. Folks really go to great lengths to kind of create these characters because you, for a short time, become that character. And it may be like you in the real world, I can't role play to save my life. I'm only ever me. I can't seem to be anybody else. (laughs) But it might be an opportunity to have an alter ego. Somebody that behaves differently. Maybe you're an accountant, but in a game you're a rogue and you go around pickpocketing people. You probably don't do that in your real life as an accountant. (laughs) It gives you kind of an opportunity to like play a little bit. Individual gaming sessions can take hours and groups can play together for years. It's not necessarily a game that has to end. It's a highly social activity that rewards collaboration, creativity, problem solving, compromise, and negotiation. You cannot play Dungeons and Dragons alone. You have to be with other people. And while Dungeons and Dragons is not the only game like that before or since, it does have a particular cultural marker due to its global popularity and reach. In 2017, an estimated 12 to 15 million people in North America alone were playing d and It's a lot of people. A lot of people. Yeah. Spanning a very broad age range mm. from kid, teenager, young adult, adult, anyone with any interest in it can play it. It's not a very hard game to learn. Anyone can play it. And an element I think is really unique and special is that while you do follow rules and specific campaigns developed by Wizards of the Coast... The actual experience you have is really created by the players. No two groups are going to have the same experience the exact same way, but there are plenty of shared elements of the game like weapons, trinkets, and of course, food. And as you know, when there's a popular fandom, there are licensed products. (laughs) So there is now an official Dungeons & Dragons cookbook called Heroes Feast, published in October 2020, featuring 80 recipes inspired by Dungeons & Dragons developed by an unnamed professional chef. (laughs) I think there's a pretty obvious reason for that because each recipe not only correlates with a well-known culinary item from the game, but also with a well-known real-world counterpart. For example, Dwarven Miner's Pie is easily recognizable for those who know as either Cottage Pie or Shepherd's Pie. And Bangers and Smash are, well, banger sausages and smashed roasted potatoes. That recipe is actually especially good. I really like that Mm. one. 
And the book is generally well received with a 4.1 rating on Goodreads and a second book titled Heroes Feast Flavors of the Multiverse set to be published on November 7th of this year. Okay, back to why we're talking about this cookbook in context with our overall theme for the As We Eat season. I mean, this all sounds kind of cute, right? You know, slap some funny names on classic recipes and basically wait for the cash to roll in. You know? <laughs> but I think it does something that more than the creators expected. It got people cooking and talking about cooking within this specific context and within this specific fandom. The fandom on social media is absolutely rich with stories, pictures, and even videos from people talking to virtual strangers, pun intended, about the food that they make. Because this is the next logical step in the evolution of immersion. By making something of the world, you are an active participant and representative of that world. And even better, folks are responding to each other with their own stories. So back to the Dwarven Miner's Pie, a post and a description of one person making this dish from the cookbook got 300 comments about the recipe, how their own family traditionally makes the recipe, peas versus carrots, was a major issue for debate, as well as the use of instant mashed potatoes or faker potatoes, as well as follow-on discussion about trying other recipes in the book. I mean, it really got people talking. And this is just one instance of this. I mean, now you multiply that by hundreds, thousands, technically millions, and right. you can sort of see that it's got this big impact. Mm -hmm. I really love seeing how this community not only shared what they were doing, but they were offering each other really helpful suggestions to adjust recipes that just actually weren't working as written. And one of my favorite components of all this was a crash course in the difference between quote, British hand meat pies and American pies with recommendations from other non-themed books to get to the desired pie crust result. The community has this communal vision of how that food should look and taste, and they're willing to help each other get to that communal vision. I just really appreciated that sense of working together and mm. with no benefit other than you feel like you're part of something bigger together. Right. And call me idealistic, but I think that sharing a meal from a game-themed cookbook like this could actually make a really positive impact on family dynamics. If you've got a kid or grandkid or uncle or brother, whatever, sister, sister-in-law, obsessed with gaming, maybe you try serving up a helping of elvish vegetable stew or ratatouille and ask for a story about their game experiences. One of the greatest things that we can do in life is to tell a story and to feel heard by another person. Mm. And so if you have a hard time yourself understanding why they invest so much time into a game, ask them about it and be prepared to listen. And that creates a shared experience as well. And you can set the table, pun intended, for that kind of experience with practically any game or media fandom that you can think of. If gaming's not the thing, that's okay. There are official and unofficial cookbooks for games like Pokemon, Zelda, World of Warcraft, League of Legends, as well as cookbooks for popular books and TV shows like Outlander, Downton Abbey, Game of Thrones, and on and on. Because I think at heart, we really like to find the things that we love in common and talk about them. And of course, we all like to eat. I love that. You know, when you sent me that book, because I am not a D&D &D player. Yeah. Your explanation helped me understand it a little bit more. But I thought, you know, 
It is a really interesting concept of building these worlds around a either a game or a movie or a book, bringing it into a space where a non-D&D player or a non-outlander watcher to help us further understand it. And when I got the book, you guys, this book is beautiful. It it's You gorgeous. talk about world <laughs> really building. This book absolutely builds the world of D&D. The photography. Photography is stunning. And again, it's all about building this world. A lot of food photographers may feel like this is overpropped in the standard world of food photography. But as far as building a world, it is spot on and they are gorgeous. The recipes, like you said, they really are recipes that we all know, but the head notes are fantastic to pull you <laughs> into a story. And I found myself giggling over how they were talking about the different ingredients and what you could substitute a halfling with because it's not really <laughs> the best thing to go out and yeah. kill a halfling and put it into your stew. But to your point again, I think that as a way to bridge how mm -hmm. each of us perceives our own world and lives within this world, I think it's a great way to start a conversation. Like you said, to talk to your children about mm -hmm. Minecraft. My gosh, if my mom had put together a Harry Potter meal for me as an adult, I would have been just ecstatic. I would have loved it. I would have felt like, like you said, I have been seen and mm -hmm. heard. And I think mm -hmm. that is so, so important. I think that for a lot of us, we don't feel seen. We don't feel like we're being heard, but we feel like we're being judged because we may have different hobbies and different passions. But I think yeah. that food can really help to bridge that gap. Because like you said, we all eat. Yeah. We all eat. You know, you're bringing up an interesting thought for me because... Half of me, you know, I feel a little defensive about gaming. I enjoy it. I am not as extreme a gamer as others in my life. I cannot actually sit in front of a computer for hours anymore. I used to be able to do it when I was younger. I lost a little bit of that tolerance for it. And there's a lot of perception about people mm. who are gaming as being nerdy and they're in the basement and they're hanging out and they're spending hours doing the thing. And obviously, I got a lot of criticism at different points in my life for where I was placing my intentions. But then I think if we've got other very passionate fandoms, sports. Mm -hmm. We mm -hmm. will sit for hours watching yes. sports, yep. both at home and in going to a game. And I don't think that those principles are as far apart as perhaps we think they are. Yeah, I know. I totally agree. And as we were talking, that was the first thing that popped into my head because I mean, you look at some of these fans out there, they get dressed up and painted up and that's okay, right? Because that's part of our Completely. culture. But it isn't any different than five no. or six people sitting around a table creating a story about how they're all going to reach this final goal. And they are involved in the goal. I mean, really, we all want to be part of a tribe, right? Yeah, we really do. And, and this is no different than being a tribe of Grizz fans or UW fans. Exactly. It's just a different way of being a fan. 
It is. And if food can help break down those barriers and help us understand, communicate, or even just be entertained, there's nothing right. wrong with being entertained. And it's funny because you mentioned the Lords of the Ring thing. We, I did that for my husband, actually, because for yeah. several years, his birthday is in December, and for many years, Lord of the Rings films and the Hobbit films mm. were releasing in December. And so we would have an almost annual movie watch party, and we would set a table with a full complement of Lord of the Rings-inspired foods. Shortbread for Lambus bread. I did babuti as a version of fancy shepherd's pie. We got very creative about what we did. Invited friends over, and the idea was that we were feasting, watching a movie together. But it was a little bit more special. It was more celebratory because it was themed around mm. this idea, and not yeah. just hey, we're ordering a bunch of pizzas and like it's just a slightly different act. I mean, I'm still feeding people, but pizzas versus Lambus. <laughs> it just felt it felt more celebratory. And I think that the conversation around that type of a celebration is very different than if it was just pizza. I mean, yeah. it opens it up to all sorts of different kinds of conversations. You feel like you become part of the movie, exactly. right? Exactly my thesis. When you're cooking from these these fandoms, it doesn't have to be games. It's just D&D is a very easy, obvious one to, right. to point to because it's so popular. It's so known. But you multiply this now by, I mean, the gaming industry is doing fantastic things in media in terms of storytelling and kind mm. of uniting these ideas. And I'm getting myself super excited and a little off topic, but it's, a, it's just a fun way of bringing that experience into your everyday life. Yes. Now, I have a complicated thought about this. I find it really fascinating about what we bring from real world to a fantasy world and then ultimately what we bring back again. So mm. I want to talk about that in context of butterbeer. Pre-Harry Potter, butterbeer, I think as we think of it, didn't exist. Mm. We didn't invent any ingredients. Nothing was actually because of the Harry Potter books. We started growing a certain kind of plant. We had all those materials to begin with. We just didn't put them together in a way that could be described as butterbeer until the author created this idea of a butterbeer recipe to the point where fans ultimately decided to, well, what would that actually taste like? And they recreated it back in the real world. Mm -hmm. It had to go through this filter of a fandom. I mean, you say butterbeer to a Harry Potter fan, and even though the individual conceptualization of what that would be like is obviously going to be different because we all have our own perception. Another fan will, will know what you're talking about and will be able to think of moments in the books and in the movies where the Butterbeer was a feature who have a fantasy of what that tastes like and what it would mm. taste like to be in that world drinking Butterbeer in a tavern with a bunch of your fellow students. I just love that we've moved something from the real world into a fantasy world, and then back again. I think that the other thing that it does for us is it gives us permission to imagine and have a little bit of fun. Yeah. Um, this season, we brought up uh, Mastering the Art of French Cooking. Mm -hmm. And I know that there have been projects like Julia Powell's Julia Julia Project, where the cookbook was talked about in a greater context than just the cookbook. We do interact with Mastering the Art of French Cooking. We do talk about it. Mm -hmm. But I don't see the 
community involvement with these books like I have with this one. Yeah. And maybe that's a function that we have social media. And so we have a place to park our thoughts Mm. so that someone can talk about British hand meat pies on a Tuesday at midnight and then someone else on the other side of the world can read about it on a Friday at 5 a.m. and respond. You you have these asynchronous Mm. interactions. Yeah. But there are videos on YouTube. There are all kinds of blog articles about this cookbook. People responded actually quite favorably to this book in a way that I don't know other cookbooks have actually received such a concentrated interaction. This was only published three years ago. And you know, it may be that because you are in this world, that's how it feels. Yeah. So it'd be interesting <laughs> if our listeners are, is there a cookbook that has come out recently that you feel has done the same thing, has created this community around it and has people talking about the dishes that are in there and the stories and the head notes. So yeah, let us know if there's a cookbook that you know of that does something similar to this. Yeah, please do. And and I have a long list of books related to fandoms that I am really excited to be sharing in the show notes. So even if Dungeons and Dragons is not your thing, even if gaming is not your thing, check out our list. Um, feel free to let us know what you have that you love. We would love to hear that from you. And I'd like to just kind of have that really fun master list going. Yeah, that would be great. Let's let's create a master list of fanfic cookbooks and see how many we can come up with right i'm excited this is exciting for more information about today's episode and to listen to others that talk about the culture of food check out our website at asweeat.com follow us on instagram at asweeat and please join our family recipes traditions and food lore community on facebook to discuss your favorite moments from this episode or others And so you don't miss an episode, subscribe wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. I hope this one is one of your favorite podcasts. And right after you roll that die, if you could rate and review or both the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser or Spotify, we would be so appreciative. A couple of minutes of your time really makes a huge impact in helping us grow the As We Eat community. We also publish the As We Eat Journal on Substack which is a monthly collection of stories and favorite features and recipes touching on a theme. Our inaugural Harvest Edition is available free for everyone this month. Please subscribe now and give a gift subscription so that no one misses a single tasty bite at asweeat.substack.com. You've been listening to the As We Eat podcast, part of our curiosity-driven project serving up how food connects, defines, and inspires by blending a little bit of research with a dash of humor and a whole heaping dwarfish cup full of passion. (laughs) 